Tamith, I left my gloves in Brian's office. I don't need them. I get in the elevator, I get in the taxi, I get on a plane, and I'm home. Would you pick them up for me? Uh, I'll drive over tomorrow and get them. Great. Have a good holiday. I'll see you in Chicago, John. You'll never make the city. Hello and welcome, welcome and hello. This is Wait, You Haven't Seen, and it's a podcast where we talk about movies, and specifically we talk about movies that at least one of us hasn't seen before. I am your host, Travis, a.k.a. TV's Travis. Joining me this week, I have Christina. Hello. Hi. Uh, I also have David. Hi. Hey. And Josh making a return. Hey, hey. Hey. Uh, So this is episode number 37, and we are talking about the first and last in the list of great Thanksgiving films, uh, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles from 1987, written and directed by John Hughes. Now, Josh, you basically had never seen this before, right? You said you maybe saw it once, but it was a long time ago? I think for a long time I was familiar with like the John Candy, Steve Martin dynamic, but mm-hmm. like I hadn't seen the full movie, and I think I sat down and watched it once years ago, but it didn't really build on much of what I had seen before. I just... It, it's a pretty simple movie. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. So, uh, you know, normally we, we like to make it so that the person has never seen it before. Um, for this, that's close enough. Uh, the, this movie, a lot of people have seen. Uh, and it was tough to find somebody who hadn't. But um, it, look, it, this is, uh, as Thanksgiving movies go, and that's really not, a, you know, a huge, um, a huge genre of film. But this is a great movie to watch around this time of year, um, you know. He, Steve Martin, and uh, is trying to get home for Thanksgiving, so it fits. But it, I, I really enjoy this movie. Um, and what I want to start with is a cast. We usually start with the cast, and obviously, you don't have this buddy movie without your your two buddies in it. Is it Steve Martin and John Candy? And from my mind, this is one of John Candy's better performances. Um, I think in part, well, in a uh, a majority of which is because. He brings a certain kind of heart to a role like this, where it's an obnoxious character, but there's something about John Candy and like a vulnerability that he can bring to a character that just gives it an extra layer of depth and makes you really care about him. Um, He's a teddy bear. Oh, absolutely. It's like one of those strange uncles. <laughs> well, you know, and what was it, a year or two later he played Uncle Buck? Yep. But they're completely different characters. Like they're, It's hard to believe the same person yeah. did both of them. That's very true. No, it, it, that was something with John Candy that, and I, there was a, a quote from Steve Martin talking about him um, at one point that said, you know, he was in, in a lot of ways he could be very similar to the Dell Griffith character, maybe not as obnoxious, but he was he was just a, a genuinely sweet human being, but you could always tell there was something inside him, like a broken heart inside him, is what Steve Martin said, and you kind of you get that with him. There was he just. He had this vulnerability and this realness to him in those moments that made made you care about him and actually made the comedy work better. And then you have Steve Martin, who's just great as playing, you know, the straight man in this uh, in this duo of straight man, funny man. Uh, and he they work off each other so well. Um, I did think it was interesting reading the trivia for this movie that uh, John Hughes had originally wanted. And let me find my note on this because. It was kind of a crazy one. Uh, Tom Hanks for the role of Neil Page and John Travolta for the role of Del Griffith. 
I think at the time that certainly would have been a more recognizable duo. This is pre Pulp Fiction. Yes. Well, obviously it's eighty-seven. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, eighty-seven. Um, so Hanks was working on Big at the time, so he couldn't do it, and Paramount wouldn't uh, did not want Travolta because, and and this is true at this point in his career, John Travolta was kind of box office poison. He had not. Mm. He, his career had taken a nosedive because, you know, he hit really big in the late 70s with, um, you know, the disco movies. And then he, he was pretty popular for a while, but he took a huge nosedive. And it wasn't until Pulp Fiction that he was, you know, looked at as like a bankable star again. So I can kind of I can see them playing those characters. But it would to me, I, I just don't see the dynamic working nearly as well if it's uh, like Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks could work because he could play that type of he could he could have played either character really he could have been yeah. Dell or he could have been because you look at um, Tom Hanks in Dragnet was kind of a similar character his Pep Strebeck was really similar to the Dell Griffith character where he's kind of abrasive and obnoxious and all that so I could see him playing that I could see him playing Neil Page I just don't think it would have worked as well uh, and it certainly you wouldn't have had uh, the wonderful f bomb tirade out of Tom Hanks it wouldn't have that wouldn't have sounded right we'll talk about that a little bit more later too because that I love that moment um but yeah yeah I mean John Candy this is pre uh let's see he came off of he had done volunteers I think the year or two before this I think that was 85 as Tom Tuttle from Tacoma Washington um which I always think of whenever he introduces himself. So when he's introducing himself as Del Griffith and he gives the whole long line of like what he does, showering div- uh, curtain division and all that, like all I could think of was him as Tom Tuttle from Tacoma, Washington. <laughs> uh, if you never have seen that movie, that's a, another good one to watch um, is Volunteers. That's got Tom Hanks in it. Um, but I love, 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 love Steve Martin. And this to me, this is one of my favorite movies with him in it, period. Um he does a great job. Again, he's, I mean, he's basic. He's a complete asshole to Dell for most of the movie, right? Yeah. But you see him slowly break down kind of the barriers that he had put up at the beginning of it over time in the movie until that whole end scene where he's on the train. And that I liked in reading the, uh, the trivia on that scene. So originally the way it was written was Dell followed him all the way home. And um, they changed it up in the editing, and they found some footage that was just Steve Martin on the train. And apparently, according to the trivia and according to John Hughes, Martin didn't know that the camera was rolling on him, and he was just kind of remembering or prepping for another shot or something. So those were kind of genuine reactions from him. And then John Hughes was like, I can use this, and restructured the ending of the movie. So that was something I thought was interesting. And kind of makes sense because apparently John Hughes shot like 600,000 feet of film for this. Jeez. And well, there's, a lot of, there's a fair amount of stunts in it. So, I mean, that... that uh... Yeah, well, you, you know how long the original script was that when he gave it to like Steve Martin and everybody? It was 140 pages. Um, for an hour and a half, too. Well, right. So the original cut Over of this movie hours. was three hours long. Oh, my God. And they cut it down to two hours and did a test screening and eventually cut it down to an hour and a half for the theatrical release, which is why if you ever see the trailers or promotional material for it, there's a ton of stuff in those that was not in the finished movie because they had all of it and they were using it from like the two hour work print. And someone, I think the editor said somewhere there is a, the, the two hour print exists, but 
you know, it's just a lot of extended stuff. And there is there are some stunts in it, but it's just crazy to think of a 140-page script. Because, and Josh, I know you know this, but for David and Christina and, and anyone listening, if you don't, standard movie scripts are roughly one minute per page. So if you can imagine a 140-minute or, you know, two-hour and 20-minute long script for a comedy. Mm-hmm. That's kind of crazy. Yeah, that's a minute. Makes you wonder how long it was for Dune. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I also like that uh, when um, Steve Martin got the script from his agent and he saw that it was uh, 140, 145 pages, whatever it was, um, and he he talks to, he meets with John Hughes and he asked him if he was going to cut anything down. And according to Steve Martin, John Hughes just looks at him and is like, cutting? And that's when he realized, oh boy, what am I getting into? Um that's got to be why. So the budget for this movie, okay, comedy, right? Uh, a little bit of stunt work, but not anything out of the out of the ordinary. 1987, it made 46 million at the box office. Um, did you know fairly well for for 87? It was number one for a couple of weeks. All that. Anybody have an idea or a guess as to what the budget was for this movie? Without looking it up, if you haven't already. How much did you say it made? About 46 million. So we'll start with Christina. You got a guess? Twenty million. Twenty? Okay. We're going prices right rules, by the way. So closest without going over. Uh David. Thirty. And Josh? Ooh. Um thirty two million. So David was right with thirty. Did you look that up? No. You cheating cheater? I didn't. No, it's crazy though to think a comedy in the mid eighties was made for thirty million dollars. That's a that's a really high budget for a movie like this. I've gotta think at a lot of that is from you know shooting six hundred thousand feet of film, which is about twice what you normally would shoot for a, uh, a ninety-minute movie. Um, what is it? The, okay, the rumored three-hour version of this film does indeed exist, although it's not in order, and it's a mess of footage that would take months, maybe even years, according to John Hughes, to transform into an actual film. This just oh, I can't imagine. It, that sounds like Kevin Smith level stuff because there was always rumors of like a two and a half or three-hour cut of Dogma, um, and I remember I'd listening. Watch it. Well, I remember listening to the commentary track and him talking about that on there. He's like, yeah, yeah, you know, the original cut of this was like three hours long, but there's a reason we cut all of that stuff out of the movie. He's like, it's just longer versions of these scenes, and it's really boring. And I, I honestly, this if this movie were even at two hours long, I think would be too long for it. Now, the, I say that, but then I kind of wish there was just a little bit more at the end. It ends very quickly. Yeah. It's yeah. got that very like, okay, I guess we're done. And just, that's it. Um, it ends on a frame for it, freeze frame of John Candy. Um, and yeah, I, I would have liked maybe a little bit more, you know, maybe another five or ten minutes. Show him interacting. My guess is they just, they hadn't shot that. Like, but I have no idea. Um, or even just like from the window from outside showing him and everybody sitting down at the table as the camera pulls back and fades. Like that's just yeah, a little, that would have been great. Yeah. Yeah. No, I can, I can 100% agree with that. Uh, okay. So we talked about John Candy and Steve Martin. Brilliant. Both of them like soup. I mean, just amazing performances by both of them. In my opinion. Um, I mean, you said it ends on John's candy, but did you watch the after credit scene? Yes, yes. I did. <laughs> That's true. They were doing after credits uh, stingers, what, 25 years before, uh, almost 30, no, 30 years before. um, Marvel. Yeah. Brain. Brain did not want to work there for a second. 
What um, was the stinger? I didn't see it. Oh, it's at the very end after the credits. It just cuts back to, and it's the uh, the boss from the very first scene looking over those three different ads again. Oh. But he's got like a, a full Thanksgiving dinner sitting behind him, and it's just him for like thirty seconds just staring at the different ads, not saying a word. Second one, third one. Yeah, there was some some words, but that was basically it. It was it was silly, but you know it's not the first time John Hughes did that in a movie. Um, yeah. at all. So, okay, so we talked about Steve Martin and John Candy. Um, the rest of the, the film, not a lot of uh, large parts you know, on screen for a lot. Michael McKeon is the fourth build person in the movie. He's in it for 90 seconds. Was that more than Kevin Bacon? Um, yeah, I think so, or, or right about the same amount of time as Kevin Bacon, that's for sure. Uh, he which has dialogue, though. So. Yeah, Michael McKeon does have dialogue, that's true. Kevin Bacon just has uh, some Kevin Bacon looks. But I running. I did like that. That scene was funny with them running. Like, I loved Steve Martin, the way he would run down the street with his bags. His, physic- his physicality is yeah. always really good. That's that's classic Steve Martin with that, that kind of physical comedy that he does and the way he – and then, he you know, he finally gets there and he trips over the trunk and just about gets hit by a car, and they did that gag again later. Um, so, yeah, so you have Kevin Bacon, Michael McKeon, Dylan Baker in his first uh, film role, according to the trivia – um, and I bring him up because he is one of our connections to previous. I like to find people that we've seen in movies before. And Dylan Baker we had in Trick or Treat. And in Trick or Treat, he had one of the creepiest lines in it, which was, Happy Halloween. And I love that. But then in this movie, um, I loved his character of Owen. So <laughs> apparently that was all him. Like he improved all of that, like the facial tics and the snorting and, and all that stuff. And um, even down to where he spits on his hand before, uh, like, wipes the spit on his hand before he shakes Steve Martin's hand. That was, supposedly, that was John Hughes telling him to do that. So I guess that wasn't his idea. But, um, because Steve Martin is a bit of a germaphobe, right? So he wanted, like, this genuine reaction out of him. So they didn't tell him about that ahead of time. And I guess they had to stop shooting for, like, 20 minutes while he just covered his hands in in cleaning supplies. Um, But I... I really enjoyed Dylan Baker, and I thought he was funny as, as all get out in this. Um, the other connection we had to a previous movie was Running Scared. Uh, we had Larry Hankin. In Running Scared, he was Ace, uh, the motor pool guy. And in this, he was uh, Doobie, the um, cab driver yeah. of the greatest cab ever. <laughs> oh, come on, yeah, David. You had to a, like that. That was a sick cab. Yeah. You know, I, I'm a sucker for things on bags. You know that. <laughs> Yeah, that was my favorite part. Like, it's already a ridiculous vehicle, and then it lowers down as soon as they get there. I was like, oh, that's awesome. (laughs) He's got the slicked back hair playing his rock music. Like, I just, he cracked me up. And I I do think it's funny, though, in the credits, they credit him as Doobie with an IE, but the side of the cab, it was written with a Y. Y. Yeah. (laughs) It's Um, so funny. They went for, like, this hardcore, crazy cab driver, and they picked, like, radio rock at the time. Well, yeah. Eighty-six, man. Cannibal Corpse was out. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) It it did remind me of the cab from the opening of uh, Fresh Prince of Bel Air. (laughs) Yeah, it had a little bit of that. Might might have been some inspiration for Fresh Prince in that scene. There were Um, dice in the mirror. That's true. I didn't I didn't see any. Um, We also had uh, so this was a cool one. The second motel clerk. So not Gus, not the guy at the first motel, but the second one, the El Rancho or whatever. Um, was Martin Ferrero, um, 
or as he's better known, the lawyer from Jurassic Park. Dotson? No, not Dotson. The one that gets eaten. Yeah, the one that gets eaten off the toilet. Um, And then you had Matthew Lawrence. Um, Maybe Matthew Lawrence. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Holy cow. Uh, uh, Edie McClurg um, is the car rental agent. Uh, Of course, she had worked with John Hughes previously in um, Ferris Bueller's Day Off um, and has probably the best single line in the entire movie. And unfortunately, I can't play it. But um, and then what about righteous dudes? <laughs> well, no, yeah, I... it's her. It, it's her. It's but her, the line yeah. on this movie is yeah. uh, after the big tirade. Yeah, I can't. I can't play that one. Um, and then the only the the last couple, Ben Stein with a, a short, um, and he had he had worked on Ferris Bueller's as well, uh, and has that great goofy smile after he says the flight is canceled. I don't know why that cracked me up so much this time, but he's just like, the flight has been canceled, and just this, this goofy grin on his face. And yep. Bill Irwin played the man on the plane. He's the one that falls asleep on his shoulder. And he was in, uh, he popped up later on in uh, Home Alone. He was, I expected uh, him to like have a line or do I, something. I know, I did too. I kept waiting for it this time. Like For whatever reason, it just didn't happen. But, um, but yeah, so I mean, look, yeah. It's a John Hughes movie. The cast is always going to be pretty solid in those. Um, and it was in this. You have a lot of good character actors playing all these characters. Charles Tyner is Gus. But I love seeing uh, you know people like um, Larry Hankin show up. or you know Even little things like Kevin Bacon. And then actually Kevin Bacon has two um, parts in this. But the second one is only his voice. And it's uncredited. The movie that's playing on the TV... Um, in one of the I scenes, what it was. it's she's having a baby, which wasn't finished or hadn't been released yet. That got released the next year, but that was another John Hughes movie, and it starred Kevin Bacon. Yeah, I was wondering. It didn't just sound like Walla. It sounded like it was from something. Yeah. Um, all right, so let's talk a little bit about John Hughes, because um, this is the first movie we've watched with him, and he really, I mean, if you are a fan of 80s movies at all, you probably like at least one John Hughes movie, right? He's got a lot of them. Well, he's got a lot of writing credits. Director-wise, he only did eight movies, believe it or not, which is funny because you would think, like you think of John Hughes, you think of all these movies that he did, but he wrote so many. He wrote 50-something movies, and they're all pretty memorable. Mm. You know, he wrote National Lampoon's Vacation, but he didn't um, direct that one. He wrote Mr. Mom. Um, He wrote... Uh, do, do, do. I mean, he wrote and directed 16 Candles, The Breakfast Club, Weird Science. Um, he wrote Pretty in Pink, but he didn't direct that one. Um, you know, Ferris Bueller's Day Off was his. This movie was his. She's Having a Baby. Uh, the Great Outdoors he wrote, uh, another one of my favorite movies from that era, and another great John Candy performance. With uh, Rick Moranis. No. Dan Aykroyd? Dan Aykroyd. Oh, Aykroyd. Yeah. Uh, sh- That's all right. Uh, I thought, I thought, uh, never mind. Nope. And then you got uh, you know, Uncle Buck. He wrote and directed. Um, he directed Curly Sue and wrote that. He wrote Home Alone, but he didn't direct that one. Um, and uh, he wrote Dennis the Menace. Oh, I forgot about that. It was last things, wasn't it? No, 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 no. He kept writing. He wrote the screenplay for um, I think it's the live action One Hundred and One Dalmatians. He did the screenplay for Flubber. Um, he wrote Home Alone Three. He created a character for Beethoven's second. Um, that's funny. I, I kept seeing Beethoven show up when I was reading through his list, and I thought, oh, he must have wrote the first one. But no, he didn't. He just created a character in it that showed up for the, throughout the rest of it. 
Um, yeah, so I mean, he wrote a ton of movies, but he only directed eight. I mean, his directed movies are uh, ended with Curly Sue in 1991, um, and he was alive until 2009. But between writing and producing, um, you know, he did a lot of work. And the thing with it is, he might only have eight directing credits to his um, name, but I mean, listen to these: it's Sixteen Candles, The Breakfast Club, Weird Science, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, She's Having a Baby, Uncle Buck, and Curly Sue. You know, five of those eight, you can just name name to somebody, and probably seven or eight out of ten people are going to say, yeah, I've seen that. Um, I've, I've seen, seen almost all. all of those. I haven't seen Uncle Buck, Curly Sue, or... She's Having a Baby? That one, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I've seen that one either. I, I definitely have not seen that one. Um do okay. Uh, so we'll start with Josh this time. Um, do you have a favorite John Hughes movie? And it can be one that he just wrote and didn't direct, or one that he directed. Um, uh, what did he write that did not direct? Well, I named a bunch of those, but uh, National Lampoon's Vacation, Home Alone, The Great Outdoors, um, Pretty in Pink, so, I, uh, Mr. For me, Mom. For me, I think uh, Breakfast Club seems like the easy cliche answer, but it, uh, out of all of his movies, I think he just there was focus in that movie that it was like everything there was intentional and his other movies were good, but they also, um, they breathe a little bit more, I think. Mm -hmm. So like, I think the execution of breakfast club was probably one of his best. So I'd, I'd probably just say that one. Okay. That's a great answer. Um, how about Christina? I mean, for me, it's pretty much a three way tie between the breakfast club, weird science and Ferris Bueller mainly with the breakfast club on top just because it, it it was more when i first saw it i was right at the same ages as they were so i fit right in ah, i knew yes. exactly how they and it's weird to think that he put all three of those movies out between 1985 and 1986 like that's a pretty good and then planes trains and automobiles was the year after that and 16 candles was the year before it so from 84 to 87 he did five uh seminal 1980s movies that's crazy um just to think about that. Now, David, how about you? Ferris Bueller, hands down. Okay. Um, for me, it's honestly, I think it's planes, trains, and automobiles for me. Now, I love the rest of those. I, Breakfast Club is iconic. Um, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, a, a incredibly quotable, just a great film. Uh, Weird Science is a ton of fun. But there's something about this one, there's something about the heart at this of this movie I think that pushes it above Weird Science for me and to an extent above Ferris Bueller um, just because I think Steve Martin's character is more redeemable in it than, um, I, I I don't know, for me, Fer Ferris Bueller, that character can be a little bit of a jackass and kind of just gets away with everything. So not that I don't like the movie, but I think that if I had to compare them, I would take this over it. If um, he was a college student, the movie would play differently because oh. it's like you're you're an adult. You should probably grow up a little bit. Because he's a kid, it works, though. That's a very good point. Yeah. Um, and look, I mean, some other stuff he did. Mr. Mom is great. Um, the uh, the Vacation movies, because he wrote um, the first two. He wrote Vacation and European Vacation. Oh, and Christmas Vacation. So, um, you know, those are, those are a ton of fun. But I just love Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. It's just, and, and probably the big part of that is my love for both Steve Martin and John Candy. I mean, John Candy, talk about us losing uh, a great talent way too young. I mean, he really, you look at John Candy and the work that he did, 
I defy you to name a bad John Candy movie or bad. I should say a bad John Candy performance. He's had some stinker movies, but every actor does. But he's usually great in all of them. I don't think I could say I've seen that many. <laughs> oh, I'm not surprised by that. <laughs> I'm trying to think too, and it's like they all blend together, like because he's himself in all of these roles. Oh yeah, you see, it's him. But like, I don't know. It's it's hard for me to separate. Uh, like we talked a little bit earlier about like Uncle Buck and this, and uh, it's like the Del Griffith character and the Uncle Buck character feel like a completely different person, but they're both essentially John Candy. Like, yes, yeah. <laughs> so it, yeah, he's. It's funny because you know, a he was only forty three when he died, which mm-hmm. is just and and on top of that, that was nineteen ninety four when he passed at forty three. Like that's crazy that it was that long ago. But you're right. Even even though those characters, or you know, Barf is very different from, say, Uncle Buck or uh, Dell in a lot of ways. He's similar in a lot of ways too. But it's you know, it's still John Candy. Like you saw him in a movie, and you saw John Candy. You didn't you didn't see him like embodying. He didn't embody a character the way that uh, some people do, where they disappear into a role. He embodied the Elon character Nassim. by, yeah, he embodied the character by being himself and just finding a different aspect of that. Yeah, but I mean, even even stuff that he did, like Wagons East and Canadian Bacon, I've seen both of those. They're not terrible. He's he's fine in both of them. He's still funny, you know, right up until the end. Cool Runnings, um, Summer Rental. Yeah, oh, I always forget he was in Rookie of the Year. He was the announcer, wasn't he? It's been so long since I've seen that, but uh, he, he's just great. And and John Hughes. Okay, so I like John Hughes movies, but if you ever notice, his movies kind of have like a fifty-fifty split of there'll be something like The Breakfast Club, which is very kind of down to earth, um, very straightforward in its reality, and then you'll get something like Weird Science, which is definitely going to play fast and loose with the rules, and you know they're creating, they're literally creating a woman, right? What I found interesting is this movie sort of went 50-50 inside its own world. Because for the first, for, the, for a good majority of the movie, it doesn't stray too far into that like completely slapstick, ridiculous comedy. I mean, it's funny, but then you get stuff like when they slide through between the two semi-trucks and it flashes over and you're seeing Dell look like the devil and you're seeing... Uh, like they get they get done with it and Steve Martin has to pull his fingers out of the dashboard. Yeah. Uh you know and the steering wheel's bent in half and all that kind of stuff and so I noticed that uh on this viewing more than I think I ever had like how it sort of started to stray into some of that ridiculousness um visually more so in the last half of the movie. Uh Yeah, the absurdity got kicked up. Yeah, it definitely did. It it really kicked up once they got the uh the family truckster. Right, the car that they rented that looked just like the National Lampoon's car, which kind of became its own character. Yeah, it really <laughs> did. Uh, I, I like the scene where the car catches on fire when they're standing on the side of the highway. I just, I absolutely love that. I never get tired of that scene because by that point they've just they've lost it. Like that's it. Steve Martin has has lost the last shred of sanity that he had, and he's yeah. accepted his fate. I love how at the end of that he turns and immediately trips over the t- the camera. Yeah. <laughs> I know. That's so great. Uh and okay. Uh let's see. So let's let's talk about a few of the the scenes in this. So there's that one. The plane where they get on the plane in New York and they're flying to Chicago. Um I'm sorry if I'm sitting next to John Candy and he takes his shoes off and his socks off. Um he's not making it the rest of that flight. 
Like there are <laughs> yeah, not at gagging. all. Oh. I was gagging just watching it. Yeah, you don't normally notice a scene like that and can smell it, but you could smell that scene. And the thing is, I've seen people do stuff like that on planes or in movie theaters. People are the worst, man. Have you ever seen somebody do that in a movie theater? They sit down next to you and they take off their shoes and their socks? Oh, it's just terrible. And then on top of that, he sounds like this while he's doing it. Oh, oh. Of all the things you had to sound captured. (laughs) You oh come on you knew I was going to capture that right? Um, you always surprise us. <laughs> so you know that that scene and then you know it cuts to because that whole scene building up like you know you know where that scene's going right? As soon as he gets on the plane and he's arguing with the woman, you know that they're going to smash cut to him sitting next to Dell. Even if you've never seen the movie before, you can call that one coming, and yet it still works and it's still funny. Um, and uh, what was the other one I had? Oh, when they're <laughs> They cut to later on in the flight, which I can't remember how long the flights are from Chicago to New York, but I didn't think they were long enough for people to fall asleep during. I guess I guess they're like three hours. But um, when the old man is sleeping on his one shoulder and then he looks over and Dell just opens his eyes, looking dead at him and just says, Six bucks in my right nut says we're not landing in Chicago. No, thanks. Uh, I didn't need to hear that, but, you know. I think it's just... Because coming into the movie, you're supposed to be taking Steve Martin's perspective. Right. And these are very clear, like crystallized moments of this guy irks you out. And so it's kind of weird. I I like the movie, but I, I have problems with it because it feels like it's inconsistent. It changes gears so many times. It's like, care about this guy. Don't care about that guy. Oh, no, no. Now we care about this guy. We don't care about that guy. And it, like you said, it that balance, it, it did it pushed it a little bit and then it didn't sometimes and it never felt like it knew what it was consistently through the whole movie to me. Okay. I see. I, for me, that was one of the things that helped it a lot was that it didn't push too far in either direction, but I can, I can see where you're coming from on that and I understand it. Um, I don't know that I would agree, but Hey, that's the joy of watching movies is we don't have to agree. I mean, also watching it now in 2019, it's, our, our brains view things a little differently than back in the 90s and 80s. That's a good point, too. So, um, Yeah, so, I mean, you have the, the scene on the plane, and then the train, it's funny because the train is barely in the movie, and I think some of that had to do with they couldn't get any, like, rental companies or um, I think outside of American Airlines, there's not a single transportation company that's an actual name in the movie because nobody wanted to be looked at in a bad light. So they had to make up their own car rental company. They had to make up their own uh, train company in fact because so i think it's called like contract or something um so they they built um or they had to rent out like a bunch of unused railroad track uh for that scene of the train breaking down so i think my guess is that's why there's not a ton of trains stuff in this movie but i just i don't know maybe maybe that was some of the stuff that they cut to where that could have been a longer um bit about that because that part of it, you know, they go through the whole thing with the plane and the airport and all of that, and then they get on the train and they immediately have to get back off the train. Um, granted, what's a train ride from Wichita to Chicago? It's probably like a six-hour train ride. So, I did another thing. I wrote, I read was that um, it's a Wisconsin state trooper that pulls them over at the end of the movie, and uh, if they're going from St. Louis to Chicago by way of Wisconsin, that's probably why it took them so long. <laughs> Although who knows how long they drove in the wrong direction on the highway too. So this is true. <laughs> Although hopefully not very long. 
<laughs> well, I mean, they only ran into one other vehicle, right? And that was the two semi trucks before they turned themselves around. So the two semi trucks, and then the car that was just almost on them when they started to yeah move everything back. You could yeah. see the lights off in the distance. But by then they had turned the car around too. Um, so one thing that maybe hasn't aged great in this movie, uh, but I still think it's a funny scene is when they wake up in the hotel room from the first night. <laughs> so that whole thing. So here was the funny part about that uh, was they get to the hotel room and they're, of course, obviously there's only one hotel room left. They get in there and they find out it's only got the double bed. Um, so they realize a, they have to share the, the room and B they're going to end up sharing the bed. I did think it was odd that, he tells Steve Martin, go ahead and take your shower first, but then Steve Martin takes a shower and the bathroom is just destroyed and there's no towels left. So that was a little... And that, I know there was a bunch of extra footage for that scene because you can see, like, uh, what was it? It was John Candy doing, like, an Elvis impersonation, singing into a hairbrush uh, in some of the trailers. Um, so I think that was where a lot of that came from. But, you know, you don't see things like the beer cans exploding, um, which is a little bit funny, but then when they wake up the next morning and I mean, you, okay, you can look at it and, and say from the, through the lens of 2019, yeah, it's a bit, it's, it's homophobic, right? That was humor in the eighties, but as, as that type of humor goes, it was pretty tame in my mind. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if you guys agree or not. I'm, I'm guessing. When two but... straight guys don't want to sleep with each other is not an uncommon trope. No, yeah, definitely. I was going to say, until until they got up and started the faux machismo, mm-hmm. yeah, gonna go out. Uh, uh, you see the Bears game. Yeah, that's when it kind of solidified as okay, maybe this is more than it it should be. But un- until that point, I was like, I'm straight. If I accidentally woke up next to a guy, I'd be like, what? <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't yeah, be offended, definitely. but it would be. No. I would I would have questions. <laughs> And I think if this movie was getting made today, you probably would end it with them getting up and kind of shaking it out because it's, it, up until that point, yeah, you're right. It's it's pretty tame. Um, but it did give us for you know just some great lines, um, which I did capture as well. Uh, which one was that? Oh, what is this? Where's your other hand? Between two pillows. <laughs> Those aren't pillows. Um, oh, actually. Those aren't pillows. So I have those forever now. Um, but do I, you really need them? Do I not? I mean, but he has them. That's what I important. have them. I also there's thought. Also, oh, go ahead. I was gonna say there's also the the mild uh, racism about Jamaica. Yeah, yeah, that was again. That one was was kind of tame, but yeah, it's definitely some some mild racism with the rum joke. Uh, there, although they made the same joke about it was along the same lines as the you know trip to Mexico with tequila, yeah. So, um, I got a couple of Dell isms I captured because, uh, again, these lines delivered by somebody not named John Candy and not John Candy probably don't work as well, but they're just I've met people and known people that talk like this. Um, and one of those was where'd it go? This one. You'd have more of a chance to find a three-legged ballerina than you would a hotel room. Yeah, or... We'd have more luck playing pickup sticks with our butt cheeks than we will getting a flight out of here before daybreak. Travis, you use analogies like those all the time. You're a person who talks like that. I know I do, but the (laughs) thing is, is his character is using them literally, and I use most of them ironically. 
Uh, but this was the one I had to get because I have 100% heard not only people say stuff like this, but this exact line before. And you can. this is the uh, door-to-door salesman uh, mentality. Well, I'm still a million bucks shy of being a millionaire. <laughs> and that laugh. Can I help you find something? Yeah, a million bucks. <laughs> um, oh, oh that's so funny. I had to get this one. Um, this is back from uh, Seen on the Side of the Highway. Is the only thing I captured from it, um, I think. But it just cracked me up because the way Steve Martin says kindness. When, he's, when he tells him, like, why would I put my, my credit card in your wallet? I don't know. Kindness? And his reaction to it is just so, so kindness. great. Kindness? Like the loudest whisper ever. He just can't, he can't even process it at that point. Um, and that, that to me, that just cracked me up. Uh, oh, the beer cans. I had no idea those beer cans were going to blow like that. So, again, I have that forever. You can't take it those away. Those guys are old. Did you ever go to a hotel with a vibrating bed? I have, actually. Yep. But were you were ever allowed to use it? No. No, no I was <laughs> never allowed to use it, but I went to a hotels that had it. Um, it was funny because I wrote, I was writing myself notes while I was watching the movie, and that was one of them. Was like, oh, smoking in the hotel room, very eighties. And then the next, the very next thing was, and a vibrating bed, magic fingers. Yep. <laughs> Leaving work at five and being on time for your six p.m. airport would also not happen <laughs> these days. No, or, not uh, at five. all, not at all. Um, and okay, Dylan Baker, I'm sorry, had to get him because that character of Owen oh. cracked me up. So I got two for you. All right, here's the first one. He's short and skinny. I don't know why. That just tickled me. He's short and skinny. He's short and skinny. Doing the whole thing with like a big chaw in his, in his lip. Uh, but this one, this was the one that really made me laugh. Her first baby, come out sideways. <laughs> come out sideways. Ow! She didn't scream or nothing. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, oh, oh, I'm sorry. I had a third actor uh, connection to a previous film. Um, Die Hard with a Vengeance. Can anybody tell me how I can connect planes, trains, and automobiles to Die Hard with a Vengeance? Anybody at all? No? no. Well, let me tell you. Uh, the lawyer that he's trying, he's paying at the beginning of the movie for the cab. He offers him oh. whatever ten bucks, twenty bucks. He played Matthias Targo in our very first episode, Die Hard with a Vengeance. He was Matthias Targo, the the uh, second in command, I guess you could say. Uh, and it was funny hmm. because I had no clue like I did not remember that at all and I'm watching this and there was something about the way he said well I, I captured this but it was anyone who'd pay $50 for a cab certainly pay 75 and it was something about his voice I'm like why do I and it bothered me I had to stop watching the movie for 10 minutes and try to figure that out uh, not necessarily there's something about him that reminds me of like the guy from Ghostbusters in like the mayor's oh, office, I, or I get it. Yeah. Oh yeah. They, yeah. They have, their faces are very similar. I was also getting a little bit of a Christoph Waltz feel from him in this, with the blonde hair. Not a not a ton, but and certainly not like you could confuse the two. But like much, just much taller. Well, yes. He's not short and skinny. No. No, that dude is definitely not. He's short and skinny. But you know. Um. Okay. One thing. So this movie reviewed really well. Uh. Roger Ebert had it on his like great movies list and he would watch it apparently every year at Thanksgiving. Um, there's a, it's got like a 93% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, it reviewed really, really well. Leonard Malton liked it, but 
one thing he did say, and I have to agree with it, is um, the movie was hurt by an awful musical score. Uh, I did not love the music in this. And normally I don't mind like 80s kind of cheesy music. And it had that recurring, there was a few different moments in the movie that had the kind of um, 80s synth hip hop with uh, clips from the movie playing. You know, they'd have like the, you don't know yeah, who you're messing a, with. That was certainly a, uh, a thematic choice in the music. <laughs> I noticed that too. Yeah, and, and I didn't love that. But I also, um, there was this little bit of music. I'm going to play it for you real quick. And I hope you liked that because you heard it throughout the entire damn movie. It kind of became the theme of the movie just because they yeah. had it. <laughs> like every time something would go wrong for Steve Martin, they would play that. And it did, like, that got old for me. I will say that. There were a couple of moments where it almost sounded like it was going into Ferris Bueller yellow territory as well. Yeah, kind of. Um, I couldn't... Yeah. I, obviously... Because uh, we don't like to drop a lot of F-bombs on this show, I couldn't play my favorite one minute from the entire movie. Um, because that, that So the rental car scene is, I believe, in total a minute and ten seconds. And it has, counting um, Edie McClurg's F-bomb, 19 uses of the, of the F-bomb in that one minute and ten seconds. And that's the whole reason this movie was rated R. Because there's literally nothing else in it that would make it beyond a PG or PG-13 movie, especially in 87. <laughs> it's so funny because they could have easily gotten away with one mm -hmm. and gotten the PG-13. Yep. But I do, th I definitely think that he has to say it once and she has to say it once. Yeah, and, and it works so well. Like, that whole scene is just... That's him. He's literally now he has he has nothing left to care about. He just wants to get home. No. I threw it away. Now, here's the funny thing. Oh boy. I have been in his exact situation. Uh fairly recently. Yeah, it was last about a year ago. Um and I know I've told I I David this story. That. I think yeah. Christina you've heard it, but I was I had a work trip that took me to Iowa on my way back. My flight from Iowa to Chicago was delayed. Delayed enough that I missed my original connection from Chicago to Traverse City. So I rebooked myself on a later flight. I get to Chicago. I'm sitting and waiting for two hours. They eventually cancel my flight out of Chicago for the night. I had changed it from Traverse City to Grand Rapids, by the way. I, I, I forgot about that part. So already I'm not flying into my own hometown. I'm flying into a city 100 miles away. And I have uh, Anna coming down to pick me up. So I have to call her. She's halfway there to, to Grand Rapids to pick me up and tell her, don't worry about it. Turn around and go home because I'm not flying in tonight. So now I'm at the airport in Chicago. So I say, you know what? Forget it. I'm just going to go get a car and drive home. It's a six-hour drive. So I get to the car rental at O'Hare is not on premises. You have to take a, a bus and it takes yeah. like 15 minutes to get there. I get there, and I walk up to the first rental car counter, and it's the same. It's, I, I won't give names, um, but it was who I had used for my rental car in Iowa. I walk up, and they won't rent me a car one way without a major credit card. And I had a debit card, and that was it. Uh, so 
I give up from that. I go to the next rental car counter, and it's uh, they only have automated kiosks. So I walk up to the automated kiosk, and none of them are working. So now I'm 0 for 2. I'm tired. I've been traveling for the, like the last 10 hours at this point. So certainly not two and a half days, but it was bad. I finally walked up to the third rental counter. The person there was wonderful, very, very helpful. But I literally walked up and I didn't drop any F-bombs. I'm like, I just need a car. I don't, I don't care what it is. I just need four wheels and a seat, please. I need to get home. And all that was going through my head was that scene from this movie. And it took a lot for me not to say those. And I think she probably, she had a good enough attitude. I, I could have gotten away with it. But at the same time, if she didn't know I was referencing the movie, I would have just sounded like a complete jackass. So, But it was going through my head. And that makes me appreciate that scene even more. And I probably would have been giggling just thinking about that scene. Oh, boy, I tell you what, though. And then I got in the car and drove. Uh, I left O'Hare. I stopped to get something to drink. And that car didn't stop moving until I got home. Six and a half hours straight. I got home at like 2 a.m. But I love that scene in this movie, Uh Beyond, it just it's it's my favorite scene in the movie. I, I it just it's so out of place with the rest of it, so it shouldn't work, but it does, and it only works because it's Steve Martin. And yeah. unfortunately, it's just not audio that I can play on this show um, because I like to try and keep it. A I can do it for you. I'm sure you could, but I will <laughs> kick you right out of the call if you do. Um, but right after that, when he goes up to the taxi counter, the ta- the taxi guy. Uh, this was just a great insult, and so I had to capture it. Now, are you going to help me, or are you going to stand there like a slab of meat with mittens? <laughs> I don't know. I think it's a pretty good insult. And that did Followed lead... By I wonder nice... if they, they ad-libbed much on this, or if it was all scripted. Because a lot of the exchanges sounded like they could have been ad-libbed a little bit. Oh, I'm sure. I, I John Hughes I'm, was pretty good about letting actors ad-lib. I mean, come on, the dude wrote scripts in like three days, so... I don't think he was too married to them. Um, but then, you know, you did get this great line, and I had to get that too. And that was afterwards. This was right about the time that the movie really flipped into, like, the kind of ridiculous humor, um, which is when the after the guy punches him in the face and Dell almost runs him over, and then he gets him back in the car, and they're driving away. <laughs> and he's just... I've never seen a guy get picked up by his testicles before. And then for the rest of that scene... Uh, Steve Martin is talking with a super high-pitched voice. Yeah. And, and that Subtle, was... Subtle, but it works. Yeah, and then, you know, that, like I say, that's where then you have, like, the driving the wrong way in the highway and the car catching fire and, and all that kind of stuff uh, really came after that. It kind so, of turned into a cartoon at that point. It did almost, yeah. I mean, even if you watch that, the, the shots where they're going between the semi-trucks, there's the shot of both of them as skeletons. Yeah. Really quick, like... That's where it ventured more into sort of weird science John Hughes territory uh, than Breakfast Club John Hughes. Because most of the movie is more more in the lo- along the lines of like Breakfast Club. It's not like it's ridiculous, but it's not something that you couldn't believe you'd actually see in the real world. Yeah, it's hard to it's hard to balance like that outlandish brand of comedy with like emotional character depth. It, it, it's hard to really marry those two together. It is. And it takes the right. Uh, the right actors to do that. And that's why, I, again, I think John Candy really makes this movie. Like, this would be a fine comedy, but what makes it something that I can watch more than once uh, and watch on a you know, nearly yearly basis is 
those moments, like the first time in the first hotel room when Steve Martin goes on his tirade and yells at him, and then he he kind of just looks at him like, you know what, I like who I am. Like that that moment of vulnerability, it, it's only John Candy that can pull that off. Maybe like that, a Robin Williams could too. That moment comes much earlier in the movie than I thought it would have. Like it feels like a second act moment, and it it comes at like almost thirty minutes in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, they do it more than once, but that was right. that was definitely the first one. And you're right; it it does happen early. <clears throat> I think they showed that uh, that scene uh, when when Candy passed. They had like a memorial thing, and it was on TV. And I think that was the scene that they had put in the montage of it. So right. even having not seen the movie, I was familiar with that scene. So yeah, and and again, that's the type of thing that like John Candy was great at delivering those. That's what that sets him apart from other actors. It's the same reason that I loved Robin Williams so much was he could pull off you know, that same kind of thing where he can be this crazy, obnoxious character and then turn right around and be very real. And sincere, yeah. Yep. And that was, you know, that was just a, a thing that John Candy did better than most. And yeah. I think Chris Farley also had that too. Farley did, yes. He definitely did. I think he would, if if Candy was the gold standard or like the A grade, I think Chris Farley's, you know, a step or two below that. But he definitely had that ability. Yeah. You know, that was what set him apart and made him a lot better than because there's there's been plenty of comedic actors that are that, you know, kind of big fat guy. Right. And but it's the John Candies and the Chris Farley's that can transcend that and be a little bit more. I just now realized and I knew they were, but I just now put together that Chris Farley and John Candy are two different people. I like know they are, (laughs) but I was definitely thinking some things that were Chris Farley were. John Candy and vice versa. Oh, David, 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 you adorable. Like Van adorable Down by child. the River was Chris Farley, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I thought that was Candy the whole time. <laughs> candy never. You're did lucky he. we're not next to each other. Yeah. Did Candy? Did Candy ever do anything with SNL? I know he had done stuff. Like he was more with the SCTV group, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, he did a lot of SCTV. I don't think he did. He might have hosted. Um, yeah, SCTV. He was on uh, for about three or four years. God, that was 1970s. Jeez. <laughs> Holy old. cow. 76 to 79 is when he was on SCTV. Um, well, we'll see if I sh- see anything here, but I don't think he did. Oh, Saturday Night Live. He hosted um, twice. So that's all that he ever really did, uh, which is crazy to think about because, you know, he worked with um, Belushi and uh, Aykroyd and Bill Murray and all those guys a lot. For whatever reason, didn't do a lot of SNL. I think I think back in those days, I mean, it's easy to look back at it in a romantic view, but like I think it, there was like the comedy group, kind of like the Rat Pack and or the Brat Pack or whatever in the eighties, like the the comedy group of like SNL and between Chicago and New York. I think everybody kind of knew everybody a little bit. So that could be, but I mean, Bill Murray was a Chicago guy, and he you know, was on SNL granted, not for nearly as long as some others, but yeah, you're probably not wrong. I mean, it's like anything there, there gets to be a little bit of, uh, tribalism. You know, you didn't see a lot of like the, even, even with the common connection of Lauren Michaels, there wasn't a ton of like kids in the hall, SNL crossovers. Uh, I think, yeah. who was it? Was it Scott McDonald? Mark McKinney. Mark McKinney. That's who McKinney it was. was on there. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think you're probably right about that. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, this is a great movie. If you haven't seen it before, go see it. If you haven't seen it before and you're listening to us, to us talk about it, you should 
have you know stopped a while ago and gone and seen it and then come back but luckily with a, a comedy movie i don't feel nearly as bad about giving plot points away because you know it's it's just not going to hurt it's the enjoyment as much. of the ride not the story exactly you're you're going into this movie for steve martin and john candy i don't think we've given away the big twist which big twist the well, reveal they godzilla. At the end. yeah godzilla at the end it's definitely... oh yeah that Jeez. Well, Crush, you, guys. no, I mean, look, we have no restraint on spoilers, but yeah, that was one of those things where, again, if I had a problem, it would just be that they kind of brought that out of nowhere um, without enough buildup. Yeah, they really only alluded to it once mm-hmm. or twice, even passingly. Yeah. Are you talking about something actually in the movie, or are you trying to build off my Godzilla joke? No, no, no it's actually, actually in the, movie. the the reveal that his wife had died. Oh, uh, years ago. We'll oh, 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 gotcha. Yeah, I wouldn't even think of that. The the big emotional crux at the end. Steve why... Martin was dead the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> and Keon John Candy saw the dead people. That's yeah. what it was. Uh, no, look. Great movie, uh, and thank you guys for coming on and watching uh, this one with me. This is a fun movie for me, too, because I usually watch it around this time of year, every year, and this time of year is extra special for me because it's not only Thanksgiving, which is, for me, my favorite holiday just because it's centered around like friends and family, um, and it's centered around friends and family, but not in like a, oh, you need to give everybody gifts type of way, like... It's just the you need spend time with them, and I understand that for some people this is a rough time of year because they don't have uh, that. Um, and you know, if for some reason you don't have family to spend time with, uh, there's there's people out there, um, and that's what friends are for. It's the family that you make for yourself. Exactly, uh, but it's also a special time of the year for me because it's my birthday. So uh, I do I, I do enjoy kind of having uh, a built in holiday that's around my birthday without being on the exact same day like i always feel a little bit i don't want to say bad but i always feel for people that are born like on christmas day or born my father yeah and and i know a few people uh with december 25th as their birthday and you you kind of feel bad for them because most people it gets overlooked and one of the things i like about my birthday being right around thanksgiving is there's always a holiday right around it but at the same time, it doesn't fall on the same day every year. So Yeah, my dad's is Christmas, my mom's is New Year's Eve, and mine is uh, St. Patrick's Day. Oh, jeez. You guys just like having uh, double-duty holidays, I guess. Mine's on Father's Day most of the time. <laughs> but again, that's one of those where it's a floating holiday, right? It doesn't happen right. on the exact same day every year. But you, you know you've got a built-in, like, hey, I'm going to see family members around then. So that's helpful. Presents! <laughs> Um, but I want to thank you guys for coming on and, uh, and talking about this movie with me, um, as I often do. And we record, so we're recording this live, uh, it's Sunday and, uh, the show will go live on Wednesdays and you can get that at tvstravis.com. There's a subscribe button right there so you can get all our shows as they come up. We're coming into Christmas season. Um, so upcoming, I have, uh, kind of gone the route. And I know, Josh, we had talked about this a little bit, and you were worried that maybe it would get a bit repetitive, but I'm hoping that it doesn't. Um, I want to, for Christmas movies, partly because we've already watched one of my favorite Christmas movies of all time for this show, which is Die Hard, uh, and it's a Christmas movie. I don't care. Fight me. But um, I would like to do four different tellings of A Christmas Carol, right? That is like the story of, of Christmas. 
not of Christmas, uh, the, the story for Christmas in my mind. So coming up, I've got four different versions of that. Um, and next week is going to be the Robert Zemeckis, uh, Jim Carrey starring motion captured version. I have never seen it before. So should be interesting. Uh, I, I have liked some of the mocap stuff that I watched from Zemeckis, um, but this one I just never saw. So should be interesting. Uh, but that's what's coming up next week. Um, and that's going to kick off our December of A Christmas Carol. Um, we'll, be, uh, we'll be watching that one. Uh, I have on deck Scrooged, which is one of my favorite Christmas movies and one of yep, my yep. favorite versions of A Christmas Carol because Bill Murray. It's Bill freaking Murray. <laughs> exactly. It's the formula up a bit, which is good. Yeah. Yep. Uh, a Muppet's Christmas Carol is a fun one. Um, the best. The, I always, the best one. <laughs> yeah, I, I always love that. And again, Michael Caine. Um, and then, uh, just for a little bit of fun, um, because my one, my number one all time favorite Christmas movie is Dr. Seuss's How the Grinch Stole Christmas, the animated Boris Karloff one. Um, that just, that's the, the hit rate and the nostalgia for me, but it's only about a half hour long. So we're also going to do Mickey's Christmas Carol that same week. And that's going to be our lead up to Christmas day. Uh, and in fact, that episode should come out on christmas day so that's what we got coming up for this month yeah so you're welcome everybody but uh that's what we've got coming up this next month of december uh four different versions of a christmas carol uh hopefully you're not tired of it by the end but i think they're different enough that it shouldn't be too too bad if you don't celebrate christmas we'll see you in january exactly yep (laughs) maybe maybe next year they're still good movies next year i can do hanukkah movies Eight crazy nights. Yeah, that's the first one that popped in my head. I, it, are there others? I'm not sure. I'm sure there are. But, Maybe not uh, as popular. Right. Uh, but yeah, so until next week when we talk about A Christmas Carol starring Jim Carrey, um, I want to thank you guys for being here. Thank you, Christina. Always glad to be here. And David. Hello. Yes. And thanks, Josh, for coming back. It's good to have you back. Yeah, good to be back. And uh, until next time, what we always like to tell everybody is get out and enjoy your movies. This has been Wait You Haven't Seen. We'll see you next week. Gobble, gobble. <laughs>